Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. Hello and welcome to the Christmas Picture Book Edition. Just a heads up, if your family is a family that is faithful to the man in the red suit, you're probably going to want to listen to this podcast, the first eight minutes of it privately, apart from your children. The rest, you're good to go. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is just going to be a really fun new part of Bright Wings. I'm inviting Amanda Knapp to join me for some casual conversations, and we're going to be talking about our favorite Christmas picture books. So Amanda, welcome to Bright Wings once again. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's super fun to have you back on the podcast because it's almost been a year to date since the podcast on great illustrations and why they matter way back at episode four. That was first released December of last year. And so here we are together again. And so you're joining me again. And this time we're talking about Christmas picture books. And we're going to talk about a couple of different versions of classics that we love. And then um, my other my other thought, Amanda, is that we can talk about uh, some of our other favorite Christmas books. So I have a category in my mind called unsentimental, meaningful Christmas books. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Maybe you have a category called fun Christmas books. <laughs> I have a category called books my kids want me to read to them and I want to burn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think there's 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 so much of that out there. Amanda, I'm wondering what you guys do at our house. Christmas books get put away with Christmas decorations and we keep them separate from other books when it's not Advent and Christmas season. Do you guys do that too? We do. And it took me a couple years to figure out how to do this. And I overthink things. So do I keep them with Christmas decorations or in a separate place? And finally, we found a system that works and no one's allowed to read them until we take them out, usually the day after Thanksgiving. And no one's allowed to take them to bedrooms because then we'll never see them again. We have rules around Christmas books that we don't have around any of our other books. Um, but there's a reason. I want, my hope is that my kids will eventually take these books and read them to their own kids. So there's a reason for my madness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a kind of different category of book. Uh, I, I don't really have seasonal books. I don't really, I don't have, I guess I don't really have Easter books. I don't have summer books. I don't have Halloween books or you know, like there's nothing that I kind of curate in the same way that I do the Christmas books. I think you're the same way. <laughs> Yes, actually, though, I do have season. I have St. Patrick's Day and Valentine's Day and Halloween. Well, that's we great. I don't care for them in the same ways that I do the Christmas book. When I was growing up, we used to watch all those Christmas shows, Frosty the Snowman, and I don't even remember them all. There was one with a mouse and a clock and they would sing. And a lot of my Christmas memories are of us, you know, all gathering around with blankets and watching these. And I thought when I had kids, we'd be doing the same thing, but life is different. And now there's recording shows and it just, it's not the same thing. And so my hope is that when my kids grow up, they'll have the same memories around these books that I do around those claymation Christmas shows. <laughs> and I think oh, that's- Oh, wow. Yeah. I think yeah. that's really, 
that's really meaningful. I mean, I, I'm I'm with you on creating memories and experiences of being family around the books. Christmas picture books, there's no other category of book. There's no other genre of picture books that makes me cry like mm. Christmas picture books. There's a way that they're, they zero in on joy and hope and self-giving that really that really pierces my heart for lack of a better way of way of talking about it. I used to my poor mom, God have mercy on me. I used to like get almost embarrassed or annoyed when she would cry when she was reading books <laughs> to us. But there I go. I, I cry when I read often it's Christmas books to my children. And I just have had to figure out how do I cry in a way that doesn't interrupt the story? <laughs> Silent tears. <laughs> yeah, or my like, kids cr- crack up. Like, control my voice when I'm crying. Like, how do I control my yeah. voice while I'm crying? Like, sometimes I have to pause, and then my children look over at me, yeah. and then I like gain composure and keep reading. <laughs> I I was just thinking last night. Sometimes when people talk about the magic of Christmas, gets a little off to the side, but I do think there's a magic to Christmas, even if you see it from purely a spiritual perspective. And last night we had a situation with my eight-year-old where she was talking about Santa and she got very emotional saying she wanted to believe, but she didn't know. And it was a big thing. And I never really liked the book Polar Express. Have you read that? Nope. In fact, I haven't. But it struck me to get the Polar Express out and we got it out and it's about a boy who goes to the North Pole and he gets a special present from Santa, which is a sleigh bell. And he comes home and his parents can't hear the bell because they don't believe in the magic of Christmas. And eventually his sister can no longer hear the bell and none of his friends can hear the bell, but he can always hear the bell. It calmed her down immediately because my idea of Christmas was always that it doesn't matter if Santa Claus delivers presents because Santa Claus to me is that spirit of giving and joy and peace and something greater than ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. But this book was really important for her experience last Mm -hmm. night. She was crying for quite some time and I read it and she just totally calmed down. And I think she got the idea that it's not about presence and it's not about who brings the presence. It's about giving and just believing in something bigger than yourself, if that makes sense. She wouldn't have said that. She's eight. <laughs> but I think that's and I think that's what a lot of these books do. They talk about a wonder. And wonder isn't something that's generally cultivated in culture. I think that's what Christmas can do. It can awaken people to wonder. And I think that's what the books can do. I think Christmas books can be valuable for people outside the Christian tradition, like you're saying, in the sense that they spark wonder that um, there's more to life than what can be seen. They spark a desire for meaning, for the sense of generosity, comfort with mystery. But I really think that's the ground floor of Christmas books. I can't live there very long. I think you would agree that it's more than that. The stories surrounding Christmas help us focus on truths about our human condition. So I guess one one thing I'm going to talk about later concerns stories that I would call unsentimental, closer mm-hmm. look books. 
Uh, and despite my love for these kind of stories, one thing I that bugged me as a kid were stories or Christmas movies that seemed to want to make me feel guilty for wanting presents. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, but but everything else around me tells me to want presents. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, every at my heart and my heart is drawn to like, yay, someone wants to give me something. Isn't gift giving wonderful? So some of the stories surrounding gift giving that matter the most to me are stories that that point out the meaningfulness of gift giving, that a person mm-hmm. kind of takes a gift and invests themselves in this gift. And then when they give this gift, they're giving themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what yeah. we see. I mean, in the event of Christmas, when we look at it, it's a shocking story that God comes and gives himself mm-hmm. to us in the form of a child. And so all these other Christmas stories kind of take up this narrative of self-gift, investing yourself in a gift um, is kind of as, as a symbol of, of your of your own self as a way to give yourself away. So like you'll see that in the year of the perfect Christmas tree, the legend of the poinsettia. Uh, those are a couple like of my, that. my super favorites. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I'm <laughs> getting ahead of ourselves, but um, right. I mean, isn't that I mean, Amanda, isn't that one of the things that's most meaningful to you about Christmas stories? Giving of ourselves or giving of yeah. a gift bigger. Yeah. One of the books that I wanted to talk about was Angela and the Baby Jesus. It's not a gift per se. It's Frank McCourt, who's my favorite, probably my favorite author. And it's a true story, I believe, about his mother growing up in Limerick. And she sees the baby Jesus laying in the manger and thinks he must be cold because he doesn't have the clothes or the the covering that sheep have, or, you know, she just assumes he's cold. So she hides in a confessional and steals the baby Jesus. And it's a big thing about her bringing it home and then having to return it. There's no gift there in terms of a present, but there's a gift there in that she wants to, you know, she knows she's putting herself at risk. She knows she's going to get in big trouble if she steals the baby Jesus. She but she's doing it to herself. protect him. Yeah. And it's hysterical. I mean, she tries, she's six and she tries to get him home and she throws it over the hedge and then he lands in another person's yard and she yells at him for flying into the wrong yard. It's, it's a pretty funny book, but she's giving of herself and she's sacrificing herself. I think that's along the lines of what you're talking about. Maybe I... Yeah, no, that's great. She's, she's, because gift giving, there's this aspect of risk, right? You can't guarantee Mm -hmm. how it's going to be received. Yes. And I was just thinking when you were talking about feeling guilty about wanting to receive gifts, how we extol gift giving, but gift receiving is supposed to be something we don't want. (laughs) The two go together. We have to be willing to accept a gift and see the other person in that. Oh, yeah. But on the other hand, there's also the materialism and all I want is an Xbox and that's all. (laughs) My my five-year-old, I asked her yesterday what her favorite part of Christmas was. She's like, the presents. But I also think all the presents, I've been thinking about this since my youngest was my oldest was born. So 13 some years. And what is, why do we do all of this? But it's all, it's all a physical way to represent the ultimate gift that we are given when Jesus was born. Well, let's dive into talking about what some of 
our favorite versions of Christmas classics are. Mm-hmm. So do you want to start, Amanda? Sure. Once- do you want to do the night before Christmas? Sure. Yeah. My favorite one, it's actually a board book, but the pictures are by Dana Reagan. And I had looked for many years because I love the poem. You know, I wanted to share it with my kids. And one of the things that always bothered me is that some books don't include all the lines. And that really bothered really? me. Really? <laughs> um, some of the yeah. persons, you've searched harder for this I than this I one. have. So I'm quite, I'm quite, you know, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's the more rapid than me. I don't remember. There was one part that was not included. I wanted something. I've seen those little critter books. Do you know the little, little yeah. critter books? Yeah. Yeah. They're not my favorite. <laughs> and that's what. Did a you lot hear that in my finding. voice? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I was finding things like that. I was finding Mickey Mouse and I'm not anti Mickey Mouse, but the I they lack any definition. I know. <laughs> Um, Sorry, Amanda. You're not anti-Mickey Mouse. Please continue. (laughs) (laughs) My husband wouldn't let me be anti-Mickey Mouse. (laughs) They were all like that, or they went the other way and they were old-fashioned in a way that wasn't good. I like old-fashioned things, but they I just didn't feel like they would speak to modern children. And then I found this version, and I kind of wish this was what a video podcast. So I could show people right now. They're detailed, the pictures, they're crisp. I'm looking at one where Santa and the reindeer are flying. There's a lot of definition. There's a lot of snow and the snow just makes it beautiful. They look, I guess some of the pictures look a little old fashioned, the sugar plums and the kids are dreaming of a trumpet and a gingerbread cookie. So yeah, and it's a board book. So my kids, my older kids don't mind and they don't mind me reading board books as long as they can tell that they're not for babies. Um, none of my kids <laughs> mind it. I just love the poem and my kids know a lot of the words. Yeah. So that's my favorite. It's by Harper Festival and it, it was cheap. It was $7 and nice. I found it and I was like, I got it. The search is over. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Oh, just a heads up for everyone listening. We'll have all these books in a book list on the website and I'll also attach that book list to the show notes of this show. So if you are keen on looking at some of our favorite versions of this and um, interested in purchasing them, that is lovely. It helps support what I'm doing. Also gives you a great way to build your family's library. So be sure to check out that book list with all those yummy books on it. My favorite version, we, we talked about this in the uh, Beautiful Illustrations and Why They Matter podcast. But um, I referred to The Night Before Christmas that's illustrated by Douglas Gorsling. Uh, and my experience of that book, you know, it's just this cheap paperback and it does have some really old-fashioned illustrations to it. But that's what really helped me at a certain point and where I was experiencing my own, what felt like inadequacies as a mother to provide a beautiful peaceful Christmas where everyone was connected with one another. And and out of a certain kind of anxiety about the wrong things, I was thinking like, hey, that um, that most of what I desired for Christmas depended on the right environment and scenery. And I was, you know, I was feeling this pressure to provide what looked like the right Christmas and that I had too much stuff and too much clutter. <laughs> 
to provide the right kind of Christmas for my family to love one another in. And so anyway, the illustrations in this book I like because they look messy enough to resemble my house and and the old things in the in the illustrations are also reminiscent of the home that we were living in. So, you know, there's plenty of like I, like I said, like there's it's not a home or and it's not it, it, the illustrations are not of a home that values Japanese minimalism <laughs> or modern farmhouse style. It's just a family's home where there is love. And just like in my home, I don't need to control the environment in order to provide a home that's full of love or a Christmas experience. It's already there. What we need to have a loving Christmas is already here. Yeah. So it was a moment where I realized I was concerned and worried about many things, but one thing is necessary and that is love. So I had that experience with this book, with the illustrations by Douglas Douglas Gorsling. And so I am attached to that version of The Night Before Christmas. I love that because we read books to our children, but we we get just as much out of it as they do. And a lot of times I think I get more out of it. Yeah. I mean, consciously, right. I'm more conscious of what I'm absorbing, but hopefully Um, it's just, it's soaking into them too. So I'm, I'm, that's why I'm here. Right. It's because I think it is soaking into them. We read the, the wild Christmas reindeer by Jan Brett yesterday. The reason I wanted to talk about it was because I was reading it to my youngest. I was like, huh. And I think I actually stopped because it was all about a girl who's trying to train these reindeer and she's yelling at them constantly. And then she just realizes that if she's just kind and gentle, they'll listen to her. And I just had a reel in my head of the 55 times in the last two days I needed to learn that lesson. (laughs) So my kids got the pictures and the story and I got the lesson there. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Let me ask you, what's your favorite version of 12 Days of Christmas? Do you have one? Yeah. And actually, I, I only have one copy of that book on like the night before Christmas, but it's the Jan Brett one. If Jan Brett illustrates a book, it's pretty much my favorite. This has been my five-year-old's favorite book, probably like the third Christmas. There's just so much going on in the book. She likes all the detailed illustrations and she likes picking out, you know, which is her favorite made of milking and which is her favorite drummer drumming. You know, she has to go through, we have to stop each page while she picks out her favorite one. She still like laughs at the end when the Christmas tree is all decorated. The story or the song and the, on the main part of the book, but then on each of the side panels, you see a family getting ready for Christmas and decorating their Christmas tree. Just like a lot of her books, there's two stories going on, what's going on in the main part, and then what's going on in the side part. And I just think, I realized why so many of my favorite Christmas books are songs. And I think part of it is there's so much going on at Christmas, and there's so much to think about that sometimes it's nice to just read something like The Night Before Christmas or The 12 Days of Christmas that you know so well, and that's just fun. Your brain doesn't have to wrap around complex stories. You can just sit there and have fun. And my five-year-old always sings about the five golden rings in a very dramatic. (laughs) She's very fancy with that, but. That is funny, right? I think, (laughs) Amanda, I just think that what you're saying is really true that the song that the illustrations of Christmas songs in these 
picture books can really be an opportunity, but it just allows you to either slow down and like have fun or slow down and reflect a little bit more deeply. There's an illustrated version of We Three Kings. It's illustrated by Jenity Spearin. I highly recommend this book as an antidote to all those We Three Kings parodies out there that your kids are singing about We Three Kings of Orionar. Try to smoke a rubber cigar. You know that one? Yeah. I'm just saying, you might need this book. It's seriously beautiful. Jenity Spearin is a Russian illustrator. And so there's this love for kind of the decoration of the decorative quality that icons have. So his illustrations of We Three Kings have so much gold, like decadent with gold and fabrics and embroidery, kind of like a tapestry um, or like an icon. And so they're, and then when every time you return to the chorus, it's the same illustration. So he illustrates it. And then um, for the chorus, it's the same illustration, just like you would kind of return thematically in the song, you return thematically in the images. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of the verses are really, serious so um mm-hmm. like sorrowing sighing bleeding dying sealed in the stone cold tomb like very serious lyrics you know yeah. that kind of draw you through um the event of christmas to its to its kind of culmination mm-hmm. so um but you know I, I and i just met that book last year but now it's it's one of my favorites and it, it's just it's just you know quote unquote a christmas song <laughs> <laughs> see so my back to 12 days of christmas so my favorite version of 12 days of christmas i don't know if it's my favorite version but my children's favorite version of the 12 days of christmas is one illustrated by hillary knight who's more famous for other things but it's uh this 12 days of christmas is depicted as happening between two bears are the lovers and he he lives in kind of a rustic cabin, she in a fine house, and their names are Benjamin and Bedelia. He's bringing her gifts all along the 12 days of Christmas. My husband made a joke at dinner last night. He's like, oh yeah, that's a good one for illustrating what compounding interest looks like. So each day he brings everything that he brought the day before. <laughs> so each day he brings, you know, 12 golden rings. And each day he brings a partridge in a pear tree. So each day he brings these things. And then at the end, they the two bears get married. She surprises him and the reader too, frankly, with double fold out pages. They've gotten married. And then she shows him all that she has made out of the gifts that he's given to her. Ooh. And so there's this big surprise at the end. So she surprises. Like, there, there's like pear jam and there's cheese and butter being served by the milking maids. Actually, the milkmaids are serving ice cream. The ladies dancing. So there, it's almost like a like a festival or a circus and there's guests and there's all these characters who you've who you've seen that have all been animals. All the ladies dancing are animals. The lords of leaping I think are frogs. Anyway, they're all putting on this great sort of festival. The characters um, that have come along bearing the gifts. And then the gifts themselves have been turned into a new gift to give to um, the Mr. Bear. And so I like that he, that there's so much creativity going on. So you see her doing little things as he's bringing the gifts over, but you don't know that she's creating this huge surprise for him at the end. <laughs> this is so. why you're a bad influence on me. <laughs> now you want the book? Yeah. <laughs> taking notes. I'm going to end up with 10 more books by the end of the day. (laughs) 
it's a, I, I kind of hate to suggest this version because I've found it a little hard to find. 12 Days of Christmas illustrated by Hillary Knight. It will definitely transform that song into something much less annoying than 99 Bottles of Pop on the Wall, which is about how I felt about it before. So, um, yeah, we really like that one. It's fun. There's so much to look at. Do you want to talk about what I'm calling unsentimental, meaningful books? Well, give me an example. I Am guess. I just such a Grinch or what? Um, <laughs> what do I mean? Okay, let, let's back up a step. Maybe I shouldn't call it that. I don't know what to call it, this category. I don't know. Sometimes, well, like that book, Mooseltoe. <laughs> yes. I got rid of that book because I didn't like it. My kids, I just found it. They have a little cozy nook by our front door with blankets and pillows and mistletoe is there. (laughs) They wouldn't (laughs) forgive me if I got rid of mistletoe. And part of me, you know, it's not my favorite book. It's not one I would choose to ever read, but they have so much fun with it that. It's fine. No, it's fine. Whatever. Right. But I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not harmful. Exactly. No, but I mean, I guess I have other ones. Like they keep asking me to read Elf on the Shelf and they'll let, you know, they'll have all these other books and then I'll read one. Okay. Read Elf on the Shelf now. And there's no, it's very trite rhymes. The pictures are horrible. Um, I don't like the idea of a little stuffed animal coming. Watching you. What? Well, it, okay. I admit we have an elf, but we don't say you have to be good because this elf is watching you. That just seems like a fake moralism basis for morality. Yeah, yeah, bad basis and, for morality. Yeah, and so, but it's all you know. You have to be good because the elf is going to tell Santa Claus. I hate that book, and we have two versions. <laughs> Or two, not two versions, two copies of the same exact book. I sh- I could ship it to you if you want to see. <laughs> you want to experience it for yourself. <laughs> oh, that's it's okay. awful. Thanks. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> but they love it, and I don't even know why they love it. Like maybe they know um, they're participating in like a in something that's popular that maybe. other kids do or other families maybe. do. That might be that might be some of it. Like, so what? You've got a couple of these, like, less yeah. than five-star books. Yeah. Christmas books around. Um, I guess, yeah, that th- that is so easy to come by. Like, that kind of writing, those kind of yeah. books are just yeah. so easy to come by. And they, I mean, they know how to draw kids in. They have bright colors. and um, But I guess our rule for nighttime reading has been, ever since my oldest was reading chapter books, was that they can read whatever chapter books they want as long as they're appropriate and don't have bad messages, you know? Um, but mom only reads quality books. And that's what I guess I think with these other Christmas books is that they can have them around. I'll read them to them occasionally because it only takes five minutes. But as long as they have a steady diet of good books, they can have some literary ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess maybe I, part of part of the reason why I'm doing this is because commercially why I feel so strongly about meaningful Christmas books is I feel like children are surrounded commercially by so much that's trite, empty, mm-hmm. economically exploitive of their desire <laughs> that, mm-hmm. um, and I myself feel like I'm going to, 
stifle if I don't have some meaning, like something mm-hmm. that I can sink my roots into. So, yeah. you know, I want illustrations that are executed with technical skill, you know, that, that deepen our experience of the story and the story itself is meaningful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so then what's, sorry, go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. What's your, your opinion then of the Grinch who stole Christmas? Cause those, those aren't the best illustrations. Do you, do you not like Dr. Seuss? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I had assumed that based upon prior conversations. Yeah. I don't, um, I guess my, I've never turned to the Grinch that stole Christmas as an adult and I ha- we don't have a copy. Um, but I guess my experience of it as a kid is it, I, I just felt really, um, I don't know. I, 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 it gave me a lonely feeling as a kid. Mm, okay. I don't know how else to describe it. I, we're, I'm like trying to retrieve a memory of how I felt when I was like four, probably. Mm-hmm. And perhaps I never even had the story read to me. I just saw the movie, mm-hmm. maybe, which I found kind of dark and scary. <laughs> and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it really is. The entire book is dark until maybe the last page or two. There's not a whole lot of room for him after his redemption. My thing, however, with not a lot of bridge, descending action, not a lot of yeah. plot resolution. <laughs> He carves the roast beef or roast beast and it's done. And actually when I was reading it, I think yesterday to my five-year-old, I noticed that I'm like, oh, he's he's kind of evil until the very last second. The thing I like about the Grinch though, is that it's so fun to read. (laughs) I do. I deserve like an Academy Award for my (laughs) reading of the Grinch. (laughs) And um, is it really fun to read the the words? It is. It is very fun to read. It rhymes. And does it rhyme? Yeah. Yeah. It does rhyme. It does rhyme. And you can be so dramatic. And now every time we're home on a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and make our own meal, we have roast beast, just like the Grinch carves. So we have roast beef, but we call it roast beast. <laughs> and I mean, the pictures are awful, but it's just, I think you should get a, book, a copy from the library and just read it dramatically to your children at least once. Everyone should have that opportunity. It would be good for me. It would raise my yeah. cultural <laughs> IQ and broaden my literary horizons. <laughs> it would be good for me. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, it's fun. If nothing else, I think it's fun. Well, let's turn and talk about some of those five-star books. Well, I think I actually already mentioned most of mine, but we have Angela and the Baby Jesus. Um, I just really like the story and the telling of it. And there's one who is coming to our house. Um, I think it's actually a fairly popular Oh, yeah. Book. That's one of our favorites, too. I have it in front of me by okay. Joseph Slate. Yes. Illustrated by yes. Ashley Wolf. Yeah. Yes. This is one I heard about from, I think, my kid's preschool teacher. And it's for younger kids, but it's fun and you get to do the voices the little drummer boy by ezra jackie's this version is by let's load let, can we before we go to little drummer boy i, I just want to mm-hmm. talk about who is coming to our house because we really loved it when i well i first met the book when our twins were probably two or mm-hmm. maybe even the christmas before they turned two 
it's a really good story for that age. It's a really good mm-hmm. Christmas book for that age because it, I think the illustrations are really beautiful. They have really nice perspective. It, it's, um, there's kind of close-ups on the animals, right? So that the yeah. child kind of can feel like they're inside the barn and they're being drawn in by the question, who is coming mm-hmm. to our house? And then there are these preparations that each of the animals is trying to make. What is it? The rat? Yeah. Who's doubtful. The rats are always the bad guys. Yeah. The rat says they will never come. My favorite page though is the peacock because Aww. all Barnes have peacocks. <laughs> <It> <laughs> seems, why is he showing up there? Maybe, maybe they do. And it's not just a place I would think of for a peacock. But Oh, well, peacocks are really symbolic. Kids get so excited. Even my five-year-old, she gets really excited when you finally turn the page and Mary and Joseph are coming. Yeah. And I like it. It's all about preparation. It's kind of an Advent book, preparing for Christmas and right. getting Who everything ready. to our house? And I always, I always say Mouse's line at the end, at genuinely in a whisper, because I think it really seals the, the message. <laughs> I think I might do that too. <laughs> yeah. So, and I love how pregnant Mary looks on that donkey. Yeah. <laughs> she looks so, so round. She's okay. not the TV version of a pregnant woman with a nice little basketball. No, she, she's <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> Joseph looks tired. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's I think it's the perfect Christmas book for just young really kids. little folks, really little yeah. folks. Yeah. But I mean, my older ones still listen to it when I read it to my five year old. So sweet. Um, that's one we'll definitely, definitely be keeping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you have another book for the very young, like the under five, the five and under? This is one we got a couple of years ago, and I think we talked about it the last time I spoke with you on the podcast, but it's called S is for Santa, A Christmas Alphabet, and it's by Greg Paprocki, and just A, B, C, D each page, but it's the old-fashioned illustrations. They're beautiful. They're detailed, and my only criticism, I guess, of the book is that the letters are written in kind of a script no more yeah and so for little kids they like to point out the letters and I'm looking at the t right now and it really doesn't look like um my only downfall but she would I think when my youngest was probably three she had it pretty much memorized so she knew which you know what each one stood for like n is for nutcracker some of them are different than you would think o is for one horse open sleigh um you know there's some Santa and Toys, V is for volunteering. I think this was her favorite book for a while. She really liked this book when I got it. And that's a board book as well. Great. I'm looking at uh, the story that I'm holding in my hands. It's called The Christmas Baby, My Mary and Dane Bauer. Um, It begins with uh, long, long ago in a faraway country in a tiny town, a man knocked on a door. Have you heard? He called a baby. A baby is coming. No room here, the innkeeper said and said, and he shut the door. And then my children would actually act out this. So one would sit on an older sister, and then and then 
to be the donkey. <laughs> One of the girls, had to, <laughs> older girls had to be the donkey and then someone else had to be Joseph and they'd go around the house knocking and then saying, saying in their meanest voice, no room here. And then they would shout slam. (laughs) (laughs) So sweet. Um, But what I love about this book is that like everybody loves the baby, little kids, you know, two-year-olds think that babies are, are great. Like everybody's a baby when you're two, like you're a baby, everybody younger than you is a baby. (laughs) Uh, you know, they feel at stake in whether this baby gets welcomed, you know, at the inn or not. And they're glad when the animals find room in the barn for them and the donkey leads them there and the animals are ready. And I love this book because there's there's so much joy in it. There's joy um, in the animals. There's joy in the angels. On these pages, when the angels, when it says that the angels would sing, we would sing the Christmas the Gloria chorus from angels we have heard on high. Uh, and of course, like that became like part of reading the story. So it was a bit, it became a bit of an effort <laughs> to like do it all, do all the things. Um, but there's just so much joy in this story at the animals, the angels, there's, there's so much joy in the face of the Christ child and there's joy in the family that gathers around. So the book goes on to make the connection that, the baby, the dear baby, lay in his bed of fragrant hay and smiled at the world with God's own smile. And then so it makes the connection. Now, every time a baby is born, stars and angels sing in their satin voices. Have you heard? Have you heard? And then it talks about how everyone gathers, just like this, the angels and the shepherds and the kings gathered and the animals gathered, mamas and daddies, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles and cousins and friends travel far and far bringing gifts. Have you heard? A baby, our baby is here. And then, you know, it ends with, and you, when that dear little baby was you, do you know what you did? You smile back at us with God's own smile. So it just really gives the children joy at their own existence. You know, it helps them to recognize that the joy of their own existence is is also connected to the joy of Christmas. So we we really liked the Christmas baby. It, its illustrations have so many close-ups of smiling faces, and it's really meaningful for the five and under crowd. What else? What else, Amanda? Um, Well, I talked about, I think, all of the books. Oh, that you wanted to? Yeah. Can I talk about two more? Yeah, go ahead. I I, I talked about eight books. (laughs) For years now, which is a long time in the life of a child, we've really enjoyed The Legend of the Poinsettia by Tommy DePaula. I I love seeing how um, just how Christmas takes shape in Mexico, um, the traditional quality of the book, but Lucy, though, how she tries to take responsibility for her, her family's Christmas gift. That's being, it was their turn to make the blanket um, for the baby Jesus and her family was picked. And then her mother gets sick and she tries to finish weaving the blanket for the baby Jesus. And she messes it up. She feels like she's ruined Christmas for herself and for her family. She, she doesn't want to go in to the church for the Christmas Eve procession, an older woman speaks to her. And what I love is that the older woman looks like, if you turn the page, the statue of St. Anne, the grandmother of Jesus, the traditionally um, recognized grandmother of Jesus. Uh, (laughs) And this old woman urges 
Lucida to just give whatever she has with love. And that's what makes a gift beautiful. And so she gathers up some weeds. And I love to do the voices in the church as she's bringing in the weeds. I love to read the part about how she's bringing this armful of weeds into the church and she's coming in late. And you got to know that 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 is going to attract a lot of attention (laughs) in a quiet church. So there's this incredible awkwardness. And then like in a stage whisper is how I read it. What is Lucy the carrying? A woman whispered, why is she bringing weeds into the church? Another one murmured. (laughs) And then, of course, like, of course, like I cry every time a hush falls over the church and voices began to whisper, you know, look, look at the weeds. So um, what her love does and and what and the miracle of her love and the, the that changes these these weeds into this symbol of Christmas that is universally appreciated. Yeah, he has a couple good. Um, he has the night of Las Posados, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes, Las Posadas. Like, and I love with his that you can learn about all these different cultures. Yeah, you know, through a story, some of our St. Patrick's Day books. So, just want to talk about one last book for my last turn. I want to talk about the Year of the Perfect Christmas Tree by Gloria Houston, and it's illustrated by Barbara Cooney. She's known for her illustrations in Miss Rumpheus. The Year of the Perfect Christmas Tree tells the story of Ruthie and her mother and father. In the story, it's Ruthie's family's year to provide the church with a Christmas tree. Her father chooses the tree, and then he goes off to fight in World War I. And even though they have a message from him that he hopefully will be home by Christmas, Christmas comes, and he has still not returned. Meanwhile, Ruthie and her mother have been um, living on more and more lean means. Ruthie's hopes for Christmas seem impossible to fulfill. She wants a beautiful doll in a white dress, all trimmed with ribbons and lace. She's not being mean about it. She just has no awareness that she's poor. Because it's her family's turn to provide the tree, that also means that Ruthie gets to be the Christmas angel in the Christmas pageant. And she thoughtlessly, just like a child would, not not maliciously, just just wants to have a dress so that she with kind of wings, sleeves like wings, so that she can be a he- the heavenly angel. At the end of the story, her mother, who probably is wondering if in the end her husband is ever going to return, takes Ruthie out in the night to cut the tree and they sing songs. They sing Christmas songs out on the hills and hollers and they take the tree and put it on the church porch. And then her mother comes home. The reader understands that she turns her wedding dress, her own wedding dress. It's like probably the last beautiful thing she has left. She turns her wedding dress into Ruthie's angel dress and the scraps into a doll for Ruthie. Uh, that's the part that just that just tears at my heart <laughs> because there's just there's just so much generosity and there's just so much selflessness that um, is just so marvelously full of love. So um, that story I could I probably can't read it without tears, but just the goodness of living for others, right? It's very clear there. It's not sort of some sentimental clinging to possessions that makes me cry. It's just the, it's the, actually it's the renunciation of 
of these things and these attachments for the sake of another who we love. So um, I just love the year of the perfect Christmas tree. And of course, it ends with the best gift of all. And I also love the story because it's a multi-generational story. So at the end, you discover that Ruthie is the author's grandmother. So, so Amanda, you have one more book you wanted to talk about. What is that? Um, Bear Stays Up for Christmas by Karma Wilson and Jane Chapman. And it's a series. The first one is the series is Bear Snores On. All the animals come and into his lair and the bear stays sleeping the whole time. And at the end of each part, it's and Bear Snores On. And this time with this book, all the animals come and they say, we're going to keep you up there you know, because Bear wants to hibernate, but um, we're going to keep you up so you don't miss Christmas. And they get ready. And then eventually um, Bear goes and helps them get the Christmas tree. He puts it on his back. There's snow. They all go and start to decorate. But then all the other animals fall asleep and Bear's the one who stays awake. And you can see as they're all sleeping, Bear's looking one way and Santa peeks in and delivers his stuff. And then um, it ends with them all celebrating Christmas and they all make a quilt for bear. And so he can go to sleep under it. Um, what I like after about Christmas, it, he can go to sleep under the quilt after Christmas. Yes. Yes. Oh, cute. So with their Christmas present. Um, the thing I really like about the book and the reason I picked it is just the illustrations. I wouldn't say technically, maybe they're quite as quite at the level of some other books, but I just find them very peaceful and all the animals, you can see the softness of their fur. I just want to sit there and kind of look at the pictures all the time. They're very comforting and a little bit whimsical. Yeah, it's a, it's a cute story, but it's really the illustrations that, that make that book for me. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really fun to have a more casual conversation. Two friends who are moms together talking about good books. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Anytime you want to talk about Christmas books, <laughs> I'm your girl. <laughs> Thank you. One more time, I just want to urge you to dig into the book list I've attached to this podcast. There are so many books that Amanda and I love that are on that book list that we didn't have a chance to talk about. Just a couple I want to name. An Angel Just Like Me by Mary Hoffman. The All I'll Ever Want Christmas Doll by Patricia McKissick. And the most marvelously illustrated version of this story I've ever seen, The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry, the one illustrated by P.J. Lynch. I wish you a peaceful and joy-filled Christmas time. <laughs>